This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 168, The Zen Dilemma, by Mark Manson of markmanson.net. Get ready to maximize your potential with Optimal Living Daily, the podcast that brings you the best in personal development and productivity every day of the week. Your optimal life awaits. Now here's your host, Justin Mollick. Hello, hello, happy Friday, and welcome to Optimal Living Daily with your host, me, Justin Mollick, the guy who meditated for 30 minutes or more per day for a year and tracked it all, and then started working eight to five and stopped it all. (laughs) So sad. I'm going to be reading a post about meditation today, but I have a tiny little pitch first, and that is about my spinoff podcast, Optimal Finance Daily. I know this episode is not about finance, but if you haven't subscribed to that podcast, please do. I used to do Financial Fridays here, but I know a lot of people wanted more posts about money, so I got a guy to read those to you every weekday, awesome dude named Dan, and his show could use some love too, so please search for Optimal Finance Daily in your podcast app and subscribe. It would mean a lot to both of us. And I think that's enough of an intro, so let's get this thing going and start optimizing your life. The Zen Dilemma by Mark Manson of markmanson.net I received an interesting email from a friend today. He has just started getting into meditation and has bumped up against an issue a lot of people run into. Quote, I've been reading Eckhart Tolle's book on the power of now. and It's got me thinking about Zen philosophy again. I heard that you used to practice meditation quite a bit and I wanted to ask you about it. Zen is contradictory to most of the philosophy I invest in, but it's unclear whether or not it has to be exclusive. One struggle I have is the idea that ruminating in the past or future is detrimental to one's overall consciousness, even when it is positive. Tolle says, the idea of a future heaven creates a present hell. Does attachment need to be taken to this extreme? If I didn't think of the past or future, wouldn't I become an irresponsible person? Unquote. I started meditating when I was 16. I got very into it and read a lot about spirituality and Eastern philosophy in high school and college. I rarely talk or write about spiritual practices because I honestly believe that spiritual experiences are, by definition, unquantifiable and therefore exceedingly difficult to put into words. They're also exceedingly personal, so I just rarely even bother going there. With that said, this is a pretty common dilemma for people who are exposed to Zen and Eastern philosophy, that the idea of quote-unquote unattachment isn't exactly practical or even applicable in modern life. You have to remember that a lot of these philosophies were developed thousands of years ago when there were far fewer demands and complexities in everyday life. So the idea of going and sitting in a cave for nine years and staring at a wall wasn't exactly giving up a whole lot. The usual sticking point for everyone is, quote, if I'm supposed to be attached to nothing and desire nothing, how the hell do I get anything done, unquote. How did Tolle write multiple 300-page books if he was completely unattached to the future? Wouldn't he just stare and smile at the typewriter? The problem comes with the explanation of attachment. Many people take it as wanting or desiring anything. This is where you get people living in communes, giving up their possessions, moving to Tibet and whatnot. It's also the main reason I've never felt comfortable in any spiritual community I've found because I think they commit the same foul, just in the opposite direction. The catch is that actively being unattached to things is still being attached to something. You're attached to being unattached. Actively desiring to be desireless is still a desire. Letting go of a thought is still a thought. Surrendering to a feeling is still a feeling. I think most smart people who are turned off by Eastern philosophy at first glance intuitively recognize this, and rightly so. 
By that definition of desire and attachment, you're screwed if you do and screwed if you don't. A more proper explanation would be that it refers not to just something that you want or desire, but rather to things you are afraid to lose. In life, everything is lost. Everything. At some point, everything goes away, and therefore to have anything at all, we must be willing to accommodate that loss. You know that saying, you can't truly have something until you're willing to lose it? It's like that. It's not about doing or not doing. It's all about how much of your sense of self, your identity, is attached to the outcome of what you do or don't do. Quote unquote, being present isn't ignoring the past or the future. That's impossible actually because the act of thinking about a past or a future is actually taking place in the present. It's impossible to not be present. What changes is how you identify yourself or rather how you identify yourself. It's about widening your perspective, expanding what you identify to be a potential part of you, recognizing that you have such little control and little knowledge of, well, anything in the world that you might as well let go and be humble about it. Have your career goals, thoughts and ideas, your hopes and dreams, but don't attach the self to it in such a way that you'll suffer if you don't achieve them. Remember what's happened to you and enjoy your memories, but don't base your identity on it. Obviously, this is all easier said than done. The way I explain it is recognizing that it's all just a game that we're playing. The game is called life. And I don't mean in the business climb the ladder analogy, but in the fact that ultimately everything that we are and do It's just a cosmic interplay between seemingly separate manifestations of consciousness. Most people never realize it's a game. As a result, they are slaves to the ebbs and flows of what's played. But there are people who slowly realize that it's just a game. Some of these people find out by refusing to play. Some find out by simply stopping and paying attention. Some find out by almost being removed from the game. Some realize it by watching others being removed before their eyes. But in the end, for whatever reason, they realize it's just a game. And because it's just a game, they have no reason to be worried or afraid ever because it's just a game. And whoever wins or loses doesn't matter because it's just going to start all over again. You just listened to the post titled The Zen Dilemma by Mark Manson of markmanson.net. This is so true. I'm glad someone wrote about this. It's a really common question and complaint about meditation that it doesn't make any sense. And that's actually something I struggled with in college when I first learned about meditation. I thought, you know, sometimes my best business ideas come up when I'm in the shower. Or like Mark mentioned, how do we ever plan for the future if we're constantly supposed to be in the present moment, according to meditation and Zen? And how can eliminating thought be a good thing? But none of that is how meditation works at all. Thought will never be eliminated, and the goal of meditation isn't to eliminate thought. That's a huge misconception. If you eliminated thought, meditation would be totally useless. What meditation does is helps you catch when your mind goes off on a thought, specifically for the purpose of preventing those negative thoughts. So you can catch yourself and really think, why am I thinking about failing? Or why am I thinking about how so-and-so made me mad? Or someone cut me off on the road or whatever? Our minds will always do this, but meditation will definitely help you realize when those thoughts aren't useful or when they're simply putting you in a bad mood. And regarding ideas in the shower or things like that, that's still going to happen because you won't stop yourself from doing that. You can if you want to. You can turn showering into a meditative practice. You can turn pretty much anything into a meditative practice, but you can simply let your mind go and you can do that mindfully. It's kind of counterintuitive. And if your mind goes to a stupid place, you can quickly put it back on its path Sorry, that could have been a post in itself, and maybe I'll write one about that, but that's something I'm passionate about and wanted to elaborate on. And since this was a long side note, I will call it a day. Happy Friday, and have a super weekend. I'll catch you in tomorrow's show, where I'll be back with a post from David Kane of Raptitude. 
Oh, and do please check out and subscribe to Optimal Finance Daily. I'll say that real quick. And we'll see you in both podcasts where your optimal life awaits. Hey, this is Dan from the Optimal Finance Daily podcast, which is a lot like this show, except more focused on personal finance. Justin handpicks the best posts he can find from blogs and authors like Ramit Sethi, Mr. Money Mustache, and more, and I read them to you five days a week. So if you enjoy this podcast, come on over and subscribe to Optimal Finance Daily too. And together, we'll optimize your financial life. You've been listening to Optimal Living Daily. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on each new episode and head to oldpodcast.com. That's oldpodcast.com for a free gift as well as more actionable tips and resources to help you maximize your potential. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your optimal life awaits.